Thank you, Brother Leonardo. But I want you to remember that you're called to sing just before I preach. And I'm going to tell you something, church. God ordains things in the heaven. And he uses to carry us to carry it out on earth. Now, Brother Leonardo did not know the topic of my sermon today. And the story of blind Bartimaeus is the story of a struggle for faith. You see, Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was going by. And so he cried out, Son of David. And those around him told him to be quiet. But Bartimaeus summoned up the faith to call out some more. Christ heard and Christ healed blind Bartimaeus. Amen? It is always a delight. It is always a delight to see how God works in the lives of people. I was away for the week, and I forgot my Sabbath school quarterly and my Bible when I was leaving on Sunday. And so I didn't get to study the lesson for the week. And so, But for the week, uh, where I was staying at, I was living at a hotel, every morning I got up, I would be praying, God, you know, what do you want me to tell the people? And I'd be reading 1 Peter 1, 1 to 5. Then I read the whole of Peter. And then I didn't write the sermon. I came home on Friday night and sat, and, and, and sorry, on Thursday night. On a Friday morning, I got up and I read the lesson study. And I saw in it, I thought, actually, Sister Sylvia mentioned a portion of my sermon in her presentation this morning. So those who listen to Sister Sylvia, when I get to that portion, don't turn me off, okay? Still listen. Now, those on my left-hand side here, last week I gave you the passage of Scripture to read, didn't I? And I said I'll be taking it up today. Now, I'm not going to ask you to show how many hands read it, but I'm certain of one person that read it, and read it more than once. And that person is always talking about investment offering. You know who that person is? Mark. Okay, I know Sister Mark read it. Didn't you, Sister Mark? You didn't? Okay. I know you did. I know. I, I saw the joy on your face. It is. But we're living in some difficult times. And you'd hear me speaking about these difficult times more and more and more. Just this week, I, I received some communication. And we're proceeding to the point now where the powers to be would not permit evangelism. They're saying that people who keep the commandments are legalists. And that it is going to be a world of ecumenism. You heard what I'm saying? So while we still have the opportunity, I'm telling you, it's much closer than we think. The idea of being able to conduct evangelistic series are going out the window very quickly. We're being charged as legalists. So as we look at the lesson for today out of the book of First Peter, what prompted the message, uh, it started um, a few weeks ago in um, prayer meeting, that the question was asked, is that what would happen to a person, or what could happen to a person, if just before they died, 
they sinned. And let's put the question to rest. When we look at the passage of scripture out of the book of Peter, and I'm going to encourage you to read the whole book of Peter, because Peter was writing to a community of believers. They were Jews. But they had accepted the gospel message. They were in the area, the geographical area referred to as Asia Minor, Cappadocia, Galatia, Asia, Bithynia. And two things were occurring. One, they were being persecuted. And secondly, suffering was coming. And Peter is going to write to this community of believers. The life of Peter is an amazing story, and I'm going to speak about it some more. So out of the presentation to do, there are three points I would like us to take a look at. Number one is our salvation is ordained by God the Father. Do not worry about it. Our salvation before time, before the foundation of the world, God had ordained your salvation and my salvation. So let's not struggle with it. We're going to have some temptations along the way. But we're going to take a look at Peter's advice to the Belleville Church on the 26th of November, 2016. Amen? The words of Peter. The second point is salvation is a new birth experience in this life. So if we are living a saved life, do we have to worry about sinning before Jesus comes? No. We're going to see how it's all possible that we can live this life in this world. When Jesus prayed for the disciples, he prayed that God did, would not take them out of this world. He wanted us to be in this world for what reason? So that others who hear us would believe. Hear our message. And the third point is, by the power of God through faith. By the power of God through faith, we avail ourselves the gift of salvation. Amen? So there is God who ordained it. It is Jesus who made it all possible. And by the power of God, and when the Bible says the power of God, we, it speaks about the complete Godhead. It's going to hold us, Preserve us to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? So let us smile and be joyous. Let us feel good. Because it's a wonderful message. It's a wonderful passage of scripture. And pray that God would use me. That the message could be presented under the power of the Holy Spirit. That we're going to have this joy. Real joy. As the songwriter says, there will be joy when the work is done. Amen? So let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for the opportunity, dear God, to open up your divinely inspired word. Thank you for the words of the Apostle Peter. And Father, I just ask now that you hide me behind the cross. Let Jesus be lifted up. Let the Holy Spirit come and abide and tabernacle here and guide this presentation, I pray. And let us leave, a, let us leave here with a joy in our heart knowing that our salvation has been foredained. We live a saved life here on this earth. 
And Father, you're going to preserve us to the second coming of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. So let us take a look at the passage again. Let us take a look at the passage again. The book of uh, Peter, first chapter, Peter chapter 1, 1 to 5. And of all the Bible characters outside of Jesus, Peter is the one I love the most. You see, if you look at Peter very closely now, how many pages do I have here? One, two, okay, good, I got all of it. Okay, good. So, Peter is writing to the church, and I want us to take, I'm going to make a note as we go along here, I want us to bear in mind. Number one, it says, Peter. So I want us to remember that, that name, Peter. An apostle of Jesus Christ. I want us to remember that title, apostle. To the pilgrims. I want us to remember the word pilgrims. Of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. The next word, elect. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification. Remember that word of the Spirit. For obedience. Remember obedience. And sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember those words. And he says, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed, remember that word, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So let us remember those words. He has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter, Peter, most people remember Peter, he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. As you think about the life of Peter, first of all, his name was Simon. Jesus added the name Peter. And when Jesus gave, Peter, gave Simon the name Peter, that name Peter in the Greek is Petros. It's a little pebble, it's a stone. Little did Peter know that when Christ gave him that name Peter, that Peter was going to be a foundation, a pillar in the Christian church. But Peter had his failings. We all remember Peter, he denied Christ, even though he promised Christ that he was going to defend him. And Peter had loved Christ. We could remember Peter's failure on the Sea of Galilee, when he took his eyes off Jesus, he wanted to walk on the waters. And as he kept his eye on Jesus, he walked. But when he took his eyes off Jesus, he, off Jesus, he sank. So Peter's life is a life of great failure, but of great victory, of great success. You can, you can speak of, of, of Peter and, and his failures, but you, you have to take a look at how Peter was changed even at the resurrection of Christ. And Peter stood on the day of Pentecost and preached this great sermon that 3,000 people were baptized. Yet in Peter's heart, he could not have seen the message going to the Gentiles. And the apostle Peter, uh, Paul, had to rebuke him at Antioch. Yet, Christ had a love for Peter. And after Christ had uh, found Peter walking on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. As they walked together, Christ asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. Then Peter, Christ asked a second time, Peter, do you love me? He says, Chris, yes, Christ, I love you. Yes, Lord, I know you. And Christ asked the third time, Peter, do you love me? And now 
Peter is exasperated. Lord, you know my heart. Peter had found conversion. It was Peter, as he walked up to the temple that day with James and John, and, the, and Peter stood at the gate of the temple, and Peter healed the man that was paralyzed. And the Sanhedrin had threatened Peter and his friends, do not preach the name of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And Peter in his boldness says, it is better that what? We obey God rather than man. So in this life, we're going to have our failings. In this life, we're going to have our failures. But know that when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, victory is assured. You see, Peter's life, he exchanged the toilsome life of a lonely fisherman for, the li for living the missionary life as a fisher of men. In looking at ourselves, at times we struggle with our faith and our salvation. I suggest that we spend more time in studying the life of the Apostle Peter and ponder the words of the Apostle Paul. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Our victory in this life all belongs to Christ Jesus. In his epistle, Peter is writing to a community of Christian believers in Asia Minor, encouraging them to continue in the faith they had come to have known. You see, as the Christian church grew, what happened Many of the, 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 the saints struggled with the faith. It was at Thessalonica. Paul had to write the second book of Thessalonians. Why? Because Paul had preached the gospel to the church. He had preached the second coming of Jesus Christ. Many of the saints were going to sleep. And those who were still alive were now doubting the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Paul penned Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And he said that before the second coming of Jesus Christ... He illuminates the signs of the time. He says there is going to be this one who is going to be like God, sitting in the temple of God, claiming to be God. Those were not the words for the church of Thessalonica then. It was the church. It was the words for us today. Because there is one who claims to be God, sitting in the temple of God, showing himself to be God, and he wants to be worshipped like God. This is the sign of the time that we are living in today. That's been the history of the church. Now Peter now presents himself to the community by his name, Peter. Now his title was Apostle of Jesus Christ. And we know that the word apostle means to be sent. But there is a much deeper meaning that Peter is applying here. Because in the Greek, the word apostle also means delegate, an ambassador, a representative. So Peter writing to the church is coming with the authority as not just as an apostle who is sent, but one that is commissioned to preach the gospel. Amen? He's coming as one who is a member of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen? Peter is coming to the church. He says, in coming to the church the way he did, Paul reminds us that we also are ambassadors of Christ on this earth. 2 Corinthians 5.20 but, the part, but Peter addresses the church, and first he, he refers to them as pilgrims, okay? In, verse, in verse, verse 1 he says, To the pilgrims of the dispersion, 
In verse chapter 2, he says, um, in verse chapter 2, he says, elect. So not only are they pilgrims, but they are elect. They are favored of God. So how could you be a pilgrim and at the same time be an elect? You see, the Bible characterizes those of faith as pilgrims and exiles. The Apostle Paul writing in the book of Hebrews on the community of faith states, when he spoke about Cain and his faith, and Abraham and his faith, and Noah and his faith, and Sarah and her faith, he said, Paul Pence, he says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that there were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For, this, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So those of the mem the community of faith, we are wanderers. We are sojourners. We are of this world, but not of this world. We are in this world, but not of this world. You see, because God has something far greater in his plan for us. He says, he, then Peter addresses the, the, the community of faith also as the elect. To be the elect, the, refer, the references of being um, an, an exile and at the same time an elect are two words that are diametrically opposed. They don't go together. To be a pilgrim is a wonder. To be an elect, you're favored. The two words don't go together, but there is a reason. How can one be a wonder, having no permanent place to reside, with a bleak future ahead, could at the same time be called elect? To be considered as elect implies favored. The Apostle Paul reminds us that our exile is our own choice as we desire a better country that is a heavenly country, with a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We choose to be exiles, because this world is not our home. We choose to be exiled, because this world has nothing that promises life everlasting. We choose to be exiled, because we know that the home that is being prepared for us far surpasses what we can experience living in this world. So many of us have decided, in, in reading the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, read that. They wandered in exile. Many lost their lives. Many were persecuted. But they held on to the promise that was given to them, not having yet received the promise. Many have died. They are waiting upon us to finish this work so that they could have that heavenly mansion. Amen? So therefore, Peter want to elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. In that very verse, Peter reminds them that of the baptism, the vow at baptism. He says, you are now baptized who? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen? He takes them back. He, he, he's, he's trying to get them to remember that your salvation is in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You see, in the book of Deuteronomy, we take a look at the first point. Our salvation is ordained by God the Father. 
In the book of Deuteronomy 7, 6, we read, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. He has elected you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of this earth. That was the call of the children of Israel out of Egyptian captivity. God had chosen them to be the light bearers of his, of his word. In the New Testament, the Apostle Peter reminds us, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In both the Old and the New Testament, God has ordained a special people, referred to as his elect. The election is of God's gracious decree or resolution to save as many as would accept his invitation of salvation and bring them through Christ by proper means to eternal life. So how is God saving his people? How has God elected us? Number one, in the book of Matthew one twenty one, we read, that when the angel came to, to, to Joseph, he said, and told him about this child that Mary was going to have, he says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall call, for he shall save his people from their sins. Let us take a look at Acts chapter 2 verse 23, please. Acts chapter 2 verse 23. We are the elect. Um, Acts chapter 2 verse 23. Acts chapter 2 verse 23. And Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to start at verses 22 to 24. Acts chapter 2, 22 to 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. So we are elect in Christ. Christ had, God had already determined before the foundation of the world that we were going to be saved in Christ Jesus. He says, the foreknowledge of Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that He should be held by it. Amen? So we are the elect of God's people. A number one, be, before the foundations of the world, God had ordained or uh, foreordained for that we would be saved in Christ Jesus. The apostle John writes, God is love. First John 4, 8. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John three sixteen. Nothing can separate us from the love of, uh, love of God as it is in Christ Jesus. Romans eight thirty nine. God commendeth his love towards us. Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 God is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 It is God. It is God. It is God from the beginning to the end. And between the beginning to the end, it's still God's favor to save the elect. You see, thus in the affair of man's redemption, election is by the way, election is ascribed to the Father, as reconciliation is to the Son, and sanctification to the Holy Ghost. Thus, God elected us to be saved through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Turn with me to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. Romans chapter 3. God having foreordained, 
that we should be saved. Romans chapter 3. And let us look at what Christ, what Christ has done for us. Romans chapter 3. Okay? And we're going to take a look at verses um, 20 to 26. Romans chapter 3, verses 20 to 26. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. He says, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, even the righteousness of God, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ, in, in Jesus. Amen? But let us look at some terms. Let us go back up to um, verse um, 24. It says, being justified freely. That word justified, that is a legal term. That is, when God looks at us, we are sinners. But when God looks at us in Christ, we're no longer sinners. We are justified. We are made just. Think of the person who went to court. And he was declared not guilty. He was justified. In the same way, Christ has brought us, has reconciled us back to God, that we can once again stand in the presence of God, justified by his grace through the redemption. That is purchase money. That is paying, uh, paying a ransom for someone who is held in captivity. That redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So through Christ, God has brought us back from the world of sin. To, uh, in verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood, that is an atoning sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But, by Christ's atoning sacrifice, we are all purchased from the world of sin and that we were justified and reconciled back to God. Amen? That was foreordained before the foundations of the, the world. And Christ, and God did so to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, that is in his tolerance, in his long suffering, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time God's righteousness that he must be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. It begins with God before the foundations of the world. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so the, the Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1 to 5, God had foreordained it, our salvation. And this is how it happens. It is happened now through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the, 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 the blood of Christ. The end goal and last result of election is eternal life and salvation. God's end purpose is to save mankind. 
But before this can be accomplished, every person elected, every person so favored, every person so chosen in Christ Jesus must be sanctified by the Spirit and justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. To be sanctified means to live a holy life. But it's not possible. We cannot do it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The, the, the prophet Isaiah, looking at the children of Israel, said, The whole head is sick. The life of the sinner, the whole head is sick. The heart is desperately wicked. The feet are quick to, 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 to practice violence. So Jesus' word to Nicodemus were, were, were unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. At the occasion of the Last Supper, Jesus portrayed the wine as his blood of the new covenant. So in the plan of salvation, not only is God saving us through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, but he's bringing us into this community of believers that are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? You see, sanctification begins with the regeneration of the heart, whereby we are renewed after the image of God and made new creatures. Let's take a look at some verses of scripture here. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24. Ephesians chapter 4. We're talking about sanctification by the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God. Once we come to Christ, we accept Christ as our personal Savior. God pours out His Spirit upon us that we can live that holy life. Amen? Ephesians chapter 4. Let's take a look at verse 24. It says, well, let's start, uh, let's start at verse 20. Grab, grasp the picture. It says, but you have not so learned Christ. It says, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. These are the verses I want us to, to, to grab hold. He says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, into righteousness and holiness. So by the sanctification of the Holy Spirit is that the heart is being regenerated. We cannot do it for ourselves. And so the Spirit of God being poured out without limit changes us. Changes us back into the image of God. It was the working of the Spirit of God in our hearts that convicted us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. John 16:9. It is the Spirit of God leading us into all truth. John 16:13. It is the Spirit of God who abides in us forever. John 15:26. Now a life lived in the Spirit renounces sin. And produces the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Let's turn to the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 13. Romans chapter 8 verse 13. Romans chapter 8 verse 13. Spirit of God. Verse 8 13. He says. Romans 8 verse 13. The Spirit of God dwelling in us. Okay. That we can live this life. That when Jesus comes. We can go home with him in glory. Amen. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, he says, you will live. Amen? Did you grasp that? How do we live? By the Spirit dwelling in us. Okay? Let us take a look at Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 
23. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So what the Apostle Paul is saying, that when we live in the Spirit, what happens to us? We produce the fruits of the Spirit. Not in our own strength, but it's by the power of God working in our lives that we can live this holy life where we live on this earth. Amen? We're going to have problems. We're going to have struggles. We're going to miss the mark sometimes. But that doesn't mean we are condemned because we're not under law any longer. Amen? That a life in Christ is a life destined for eternity. Amen? A life in Christ. Now, the sanctification of the Spirit implies the use of means. In John 17, 17, we read, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So it means that as we study the Bible from Sabbath to Sabbath, weekday to weekday, what is happening to us? Our lives are being changed, not in our own strength. It is just happening. The change is happening. If you've ever had a chance to look at a caterpillar that turns into a butterfly, it just happens. The Lord had blessed my eyes to see one. It is unbelievable. And I had to go and do some reading. And when I read, I learned that the chromosomes of the caterpillar were completely destroyed. And the butterfly had new chromosomes. Amen? That is living in the Spirit of God. A change that comes from an ugly caterpillar to a beautiful butterfly. Amen? Living in the Spirit of God. God's special people were elected, sorry, the end of sanctification is to bring rebellious sinners to obedience, again, to obey the truth and gospel of Christ. You have purified your souls in obeying the tr truth through the Spirit. 1 Peter 1.22 So number one, God through his foreknowledge had foreordained us to be saved. Amen? Secondly, that through the sanctification of the spirit we would be changed and through the blood of jesus christ the merits of the blood of jesus christ would heal us would pay for our sins that we can stand in the presence of god again amen what have we done nothing nothing now god through the sanctifying power of the spirit and the merits of jesus's blood now calls us to obedience of the faith. Amen? Obedience is not legalism. Obedience is living a life in Christ. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, if Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, isn't it asked for some doing? But are we doing it for salvation? Or is it the fruit of salvation? It's the fruit of salvation. So when Jesus says, if you love me, it is a heart response to the gospel message. You see, God's special people were elected also to the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. They were designed by God's degree to be sanctified by the Spirit and to be purified by the merit and blood of Christ. With the shedding of Christ's blood, we all, through faith in his blood, may obtain remission of sins. Romans 3.25 Justifies us before God, Romans 5, 9. Seals the covenant between God and us, of which the Lord's Supper is a sign, Luke twenty two twenty. 20. 
The shedding of Christ's blood cleanses us from all sin and gives us representation in the heavenly courts before the throne of God. It, Hebrews 8.1. Amen? Look at what God has done for us and is doing for us. In the Seventh Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 6, page 580. In speaking about the love of God, as written in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 30. This is what it says. With this expression of unlimited confidence in the saving love of God, Romans 8, 31 to 39, Paul reaches the climax of his explanation of God's plan for the restoration of man. Righteousness and salvation come by faith. And this faith is to be placed in a person whose love is so great and whose purpose to save is so strong that he made every conceivable provision for our salvation. Surely then, we too should join with the apostle in giving him our unreserved trust and obedience. Amen? God has put everything in place for our salvation. And all he has done has invited us to come. Amen? An invitation to come. To come, experience the love of God as it is in Christ Jesus. Point number two. Salvation is a new birth experience in this life. Turn to, with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 2 Corinthians. This is a new birth experience. Salvation is a new birth experience that we live in this life. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. A change in attitude, a change in mind, a change in thought, a change in deportment. In the things that we look at. Turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Chapter, turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to take a look at this verse. Chapter 4, it says, verse 8. Philippians 4 verse 8, it says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So we're called to a higher calling, much higher than what the world offers. Amen? So this new life in Christ Jesus is a change in our attitudes, a change in our, in, in, in our thoughts. It says, A life lived in Christ Jesus is one lived under the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. In Romans 12, 2, we are reminded we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are asked by the Apostle Paul, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You are purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And having been purchased, God has poured out His Spirit on us to shed abroad in our hearts so that the love of God could be shed in our hearts. Romans 5.25 so when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, there's the affection that is in from us that is now turned to God. It says, our, our walk with Christ began by faith and, and the presence of the Spirit. And by faith, we continue to believe that God's Spirit is still with us. For Jesus promised that He will be with us forever. 
Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 to 25 provides great counsel on living a life in the spirit. Having, convict, having been convicted by the spirit, our new life is in, in Christ will be walked in the spirit as we are led by the spirit and living a life in the spirit. First we are called by the spirit. Then we are led by the spirit. We walk by the spirit and we live in the spirit. Look at the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. And, and Paul is speaking about his experience. This new life that he has experienced in Christ Jesus. He says, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our salvation resides in our faith. Little faith, marginal salvation. Great faith, salvation is open to all. Jesus asked the question, when I come, would I find faith in this earth? Let us be the members of faith when Jesus comes again. Amen? Amen. Okay. Galatians chapter 5, 5, we read, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Through the Spirit. Amen? Let us take a look at our third point. Third, look at our third point. Our third point is, By the power of God through faith, we avail ourselves God's promise of salvation. Let's turn with, turn, please turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. And please note this verse in your Bible, wherever you have it recorded. Because every time that you struggle with your faith, turn to this verse. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. And Paul begins the verse. He says, being confident. He says, what does confidence imply? An assurance, a surety, beyond a doubt. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. How long did Jesus promise to be with the disciples? He says, going into all the world until how long I'll be with you? Till the end. So know that when we came to Christ, we accepted Christ as our personal Savior. God has poured out His Spirit upon us. We're going to have our struggles, but the, the Spirit dwells in us. Look at the letters to the seven churches. Ephesus, Smyrna. Then there was Pergamos that compromised. Then there was Thyatira that apostatized. Then there was Sardis. Then there was Philadelphia. Then there was the Laodicean church. But in every one of them, Christ's spirit was present. He is not going to take the spirit away from us until we walk away from Christ. So live with the hope day by day, hour by hour, to know that it is Christ who dwells in me. Amen? Have that confidence. Paul says, being confident of this thing, knowing that he that hath begun a good work in you, shall see to completion when? To the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? So, to have faith is to trust fully in the promises of God. The psalmist, Psalm 56, 13 says, For you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept me, my, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Where was the psalmist? On earth. But through the Spirit, God had saved him from death. 
and is ever so thankful for it that he says that I, the psalmist, may walk before God in the light of the living on earth. Amen? We are in this world, but we are not of this world. In the struggle of faith, turn to the rich promises of God as recorded in Scripture. The author of the book of Jude gives us wise counsel that we are to take heed of as the day of, as we are to take heed as we see the day of the second of, the second coming of Jesus as the day hastens on. First, Jude recommends us, let's turn to the book of Jude in closing, the book of Jude. Jude, just before Revelation, and we're going to take a look at the verses 20 to 20, 20 to 25. And Jude, Jude gives two counsels. The very first one he gives to us is in verses 20 to 23. And the very first counsel Jude gives us is to maintain your life with God. Do not be separated from God. Maintain your life with God. And this is what Jude writes. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up, up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And in some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So not only are we to work or, or to be engaged in the work of salvation, but we should also work for the salvation of others. Amen? But, but, but Jude says, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Amen? Jude's second counsel, give glory to God. Now to him, verses 24 and 25, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen? So not only are we supposed to keep or maintain our life with God, but in the course of living, give glory to God for his unspeakable love we cannot fathom it fully we cannot understand it but appropriate it it is the gift of God in Christ Jesus amen